Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 52, volume 52, number 52, week 52, number fucking 52. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Brian Fair of Shadows Fall, Overcast, Downpour, Hell's Night. That chat with Brian will be coming up later in the show. So normally... At this time of the show, we start with a little bit of feedback, and it's been pretty quiet this week. We've had a bit of feedback, and all of it has been positive, telling us how much they have enjoyed recent podcasts. If you guys want to leave us some feedback or get in touch, don't forget you can do through the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. You can get in touch through the email, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can get in touch through our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and all of those are at The Mosh Zone. So our chat this week was with Brian of Shadows Fall, Overcast, Downpour, and Hell's Night. To say I am a fanboy of this man and his work is an understatement. It took quite a while of back and forth to get it happening. I thought we were going to get it happening last year, but we got it happening at the start of this year. And it's a big, big moment for me and the show. First things first, Brian, thank you so much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Means a lot, man. Means a lot. Thank you again. Now, we had a really fun discussion. We go into depth about all of the man's upbringing, about all the bands he's been in, little snippets into their albums, and we also discuss about his dreadlocks and the climate of the current music industry. All of that is coming up in our chat. That chat with Brian is coming up now. So I always start off with kind of like, do you remember how old you were or what band it was that first opened your eyes to music? Like it doesn't have to be a heavy band, but just music in general. Yeah, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly the first band that got me just, you know, that I noticed because my parents were always listening to music, mostly 50s, like doo-wop kind of stuff and whatnot. Uh, but the first, I remember the first band that I actively went out to get a record by was actually uh, Men at Work, Business as Usual. And uh, <laughs> and I bought that and Blizzard of Oz, wow. surprisingly enough, on the same day. And uh, and it was no, no turning back from there. Um, wow. And then my parents would take me to a, like shows. Uh, the first one I really remember distinctly was uh, Lionel Richie Dancing on the Ceiling Tour. <gasps> What? Where he literally danced on the ceiling, like literally, like you know, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, but the first concert that I tried to get tickets for that you know like uh, obviously I was too young to go by myself, but went with uh with my friend's parents and him uh, was uh, Bon Jovi Slipper and Wet tour with Cinderella opening up, Ooh. and Cinderella on the Night Songs tour, I they opened with the song Night Songs, and I was just saw Tom Kiefer and I was like, that's all I want to ever do, and that was that was it, that was the end. How how old were you then? So how old were you? Oh shit! That had to be. I was I was young. I mean, uh, let's see. That record came out. Was what, that like 80, 85 or six? I don't even yeah, remember. So I was, I was probably like eleven, or wow. so, give or take. You know. So, so your musical tastes from there did it gradually become heavier, or was it just a sudden shift? Yeah, basically, basically, I got really into Kiss from a cool neighbor, you know, next door. Like, you know, like, and me and my brother started listening to Kiss when we were early. I got all of the Kiss vinyl. I still have all the copies I had from then, still now. Um, there's beat to shit. <laughs> and, 
and then I started skateboarding really young. So from like MTV metal, you know, like like the Cinderellas and the and the Guns N' Roses of the world, uh, I started discovering like punk rock bands uh, through like Thrasher magazine and stuff. You know, and that got me into like Sex Pistols, Black Flag, all that stuff. Like p- probably too young, you know. Like, like honestly, I remember like like my mom looking through my like tapes at the time, and she's like literally it's suicidal tendencies sex pistols like all you know she's like what what is happening here like um and then from there that led to like you know thrash bands and and death metal and things like that it just kind of the ball once the ball started rolling downhill it it just kept getting heavier so what so i I was also though i will admit at the same time i was still listening to early hip-hop like you know like run dmc and 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 houdini and all that stuff too uh, but, but it just gradually started getting the heavier and heavier stuff. So was music kind of heavily in the ha- household? Like were people playing instruments? Did anyone uh, play n- instruments? No, mostly singing. No one okay. in the house really played an instrument. Um, uh, but like my dad was always singing. My mom was always singing. My brother wanted to be musical. He just can't carry a tune to save his life. So, uh, he, he focused more on sports. He was also, you know, he played division one basketball in college and stuff like that. Like he's, uh, yeah serious player uh and then uh but yeah but there was always music around like the record player was always on uh you know the big family gift we got one christmas was a big stereo uh you know setup which now would probably be the most like primitive thing ever but you know that time was rad uh so and my parents were both teachers and they were very supportive of creative stuff and music in general so i got a guitar real early on and started taking lessons and just messing around and I, i started playing in bands when I was probably 13 years old and the first band was called frenzy. And it was like, if you mix like sex pistols and skid row and we played covers of both and awful originals, you know, uh, with, I love our guitar player would write these like lyrics based on what he thought probably sex was about from listening to kiss and wasp, you know what I mean? Like, like, when I li- like listening back, you're like, Oh, this is just wow you know but uh it was it was it was fun though so i was was the reaction to you getting into heavy stuff you mentioned that your mom's like what is going on here but like yeah they were but they were always cool that they were like they kind of got like they always picked and choose their battles of like you know like what they were gonna put their foot down about and you know musically they they got it like they knew like ah these lyrics might be a little crazy and all that but like you know we were grounded kids you know like we, we had our head on right so like they weren't worried about it like turning us into Satan worshipers or whatever. Although it did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, they, so they were, like, I remember driving to like, you know, soccer practice and cranking the first DRI album and stuff. And my mom just like shaking her head, like this isn't even music. And I'm like, this rules. And she's like, whatever, fine. You know, what she, about during high school? Were you uh, associating yourself as a punk rocker, like alternative kid? Like how did you see yourself at school? Yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly, as a hardcore kid, like, because by the time I was 14, I was in Overcast, you know, like yeah, Overcast wow. started in 1990. And uh, yeah, I was probably 14 or 15, maybe 15 by the time we played our first show. Uh, I met Mike D, who's, in, you know, now in Killswitch Engage uh, skateboarding. And he took me to a couple of hardcore shows in the early 90s in Boston, which at that time, the scene was insane. The first real, like I'd been to some local punk rock shows. But the first like real hardcore show I went to was uh, Leeway, Breakdown, this Boston band Only Witness, and uh, oh, who the hell else was on it? Uh, it was, I think maybe Sam Black Church is another Boston band. And it was at this place called The Channel, which was right near the uh, the Boston Channel, like the water. And it was 
the most violent, insane, crazy shit I'd ever seen. And and that time the scene was like, I mean, the Boston scene back then was tough. It was all the bands were like, you know, slap shot and, mm. and, and, and just he- like just tough stuff. And, uh, and so, yeah, by the time I was, you know, starting high school, I was already baggy pants wearing skateboard kid who had like, you know, youth of today shirt on or like, you know, whatever. So, well, you, you mentioned there, you know, such a young age in overcast, but, you also mentioned you were playing guitar, so why the yeah? Well, why the, the only up? reason I sing, the, literally the only reason I started singing for a band is I played bass in the band Frenzy I was in, and Mike was a bass player and had all these songs from a band that was before Overcast called uh, Nice Try that mm-hmm. he had, and he had a few riffs floating around, but the band broke up, and he was like, you know, we should start a band, and I was like, cool. I was like, yeah, I got all my bass gear. He's like, well, I play bass. He's like, and I was like, well, I know a drummer, and our friend Jay. And he's like, well, then you have to sing. I was like, all right. So our first practice was literally as a three-piece, which is bass, drums, and vocals, playing these old, like, it sounded like chrome eggs, like, but dumbed down to, to like, 14-year-old kids. Um, and then we got, uh, I was, we needed a guitar player, and I knew this guy, Pete Cortez, who was, like, the local kid who, you know, had the only kid I knew with a nuclear assault shirt at the time. And, you know, he could play leads terribly. And, you know, we're like, you're in, you know, and... uh which is funny. That's probably why Overcast became more of a, you know, like, quote unquote metalcore band is because uh, me and Mike were totally into hardcore. Pete was a thrash metal kid with a mullet, like, you know, like in white Reebok high tops, you know. And our drummer, I think the only band he knew was like Poison and Gene's Addiction. And, like, so we were just a weird mix. So that like just is why we started just sounding weird. <laughs> and, and when you guys, when you guys like started out... You know, what was it like? Because I think nowadays people glorify those years of Overcast. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, you'll see a flyer and be like, whoa, Overcast, Converge, Cave In, like all these bands. Like, that show must have been insane. I'm like, there was 65 people there, and it was literally in a barn. Yeah. You know, like, 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 I always love that. Like, you know, the, and the shows were awesome, and they were fun. And you could tell some of these bands had something different. But it was a tiny scene. And the fact that out of that small scene came so many bands, you know, whether it was, you know, Converge, Overcast, uh, you know, then down the road, Kill Switch, Shadows Fall, all that stuff kind of came out of a very small group of friends is pretty crazy. You know, Unearth, all them, you know, like we were, it's just crazy that it all happened, you know, to where those bands became, you know, international touring bands because the scene was tiny at the time but the local shows were also good like you didn't have to have a touring band or a, or a non-local band to get people there that was what was cool about the scene back then uh is it was very supportive locally but at the, at the time i mean did it feel like there was you know like you were saying like did it feel like something was going on like did it feel like it was going to progress into what it became no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were like at the, the goals at that time were like let's try and put out a seven inch and then like all right let's play connecticut you know the state that we are bordering with you know that was those were the goals and then but then honestly what we didn't know was you know the same way kind of online word of mouth happens now back then they were straight up people just mailing demos around the country and and staying in touch that way that we didn't realize that, you know, people in New Jersey had, had gotten our demo and then you know, made it all the way out to California and you start getting weird, like, letters literally to Mike's house because that was the address in the records, his parents' house, you know. We'd get letters from, you know, different parts of the, of the country and be like, whoa, all right, maybe we could try and set up some shows out of state and, you know. and But luckily also, I th- think 
it happening in Massachusetts, part of why that scene got big, the whole New England scene, is because you could travel to Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York, uh, Philadelphia, all that within without driving more than five total hours. You know, so you could hit a bunch of cities close, and there were all these other bands that you start hooking up with and trading shows with between like Albany, New York, and Boston, and all that stuff, and and the scene was able to grow because you could physically get to all these places where I think some bands who may have started out in the Midwest or in Texas, if you didn't play in your city, the next drive was like seven hours, you know, yeah. like, so, yeah. so it's a little different, you know, I'm sure that happens in Australia where it's like, you know, just to play a show outside of your local area, you gotta, you gotta go pretty far. You gotta, you go about, it's probably about an eight hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to get to the next major city, but you, you guys were doing, I mean, like you said, it was seven inch, seven inch. Um, then you had this groundbreaking album that everyone raves about, um, which was Exceptional Delusion. Um, yeah, ex- yep. Uh, Expectational Delusion. Expectational Delusion. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mike, yeah. I think Mike made up that word. I, I don't even think it's a real word. Yeah, I don't think it's you a know, real like, word we, either. I remember at the time, we're like, what does that mean? He's like, well, when you have expectations and you just dilute them because life sucks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. You know. <laughs> um, and basically, suddenly you guys break up around... I think it was 97, 98? 98, yeah. Okay. Um, what was going on at the time? Why did the band suddenly quit? Was it, okay, you can only go so far with this kind of only 60-odd people turning up? and Yeah, you know, that's really... Uh, we, we had thought we were, like, getting better and better. We thought each record got better. Um, the shows were, you know, were, they were good here and there. You know, it'd be hit or miss. Um, but then we went on a tour. It was Overcast, Shy Halud, and Disembodied. And uh, by the end of that tour, every band, including the opening bands, all broke up except for Shai Halud, who lost all members but one. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it was the tour to end all bands. <laughs> you know, like, like, and it was a realization of like, yeah, this scene might be growing a little, but like, you we couldn't like, you know, really think you don't you weren't thinking you could make a living off of it. You weren't mm. thinking you would be able to uh, really just I don't know, put. You know, we we thought it kind of peaked out where it was and. At the time, a bunch of guys were either in college or about to start college. Uh, just, you know, when we were 17, getting in the van, it didn't matter. And then it started getting a little harder. Um, me and Mike, we, we knew we were both like kind of lifers, though. You know, like, like I was I would have kept Overcast going for a while. Really, our rhythm guitar player, Scott, and our drummer, Jay, were definitely not just feeling it anymore after that tour and without our drummer we wouldn't have been the same band so there wasn't even a thought of like oh maybe we'll get other dudes it was like nah he had such a huge part of why we sounded the way we did that i was like if he's out like we're we're done and uh but so then you know we had overcast had taken shadows fall on their first out of state tour and it was part of that tour and uh so when you know we knew those guys well and then when things weren't working out with phil where direction wise he wanted to go more death metal they were getting a little more thrashy and stuff they approached me about joining and i already loved the band and knew all the stuff and was like well you know we'll we'll jam and the first things they gave me for new material was a a, a cassette just like practice space recording of serenity and crushing belial and i was like holy Ooh. shit i was like this is gonna yeah. be crazy so i was all in i was like yeah let's do it and then then things really kind of took off fast from there we were signed by Century media pretty quick off of that demo i recorded with them and then from there on out, it was just insane. Yeah, I mean, and you, together with the Killswitch guys, right around the same time, you know, it just things kind of happened quick. Well, that was that was kind of the peak of 
I mean, metal core. I mean, it's such people say it's an ugly word nowadays, and it was just kind of thrown yeah, around yeah. then. Yeah, well, it's funny because metal core. I'll always think of like Agnostic Front, Chromags, yeah. Integrity, that type of stuff. I don't think of like the next wave of stuff. Like even when we were getting called metal core, especially Shadows Falls, like sounds pretty metal to me. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, you we guys were. were. We listened to hardcore, but like I was like, I don't know. Like this sounds pretty metal. We got we even got ballads and shit. You know? Well, I mean, we, did you ever feel like because everyone was saying, oh, you know, there's all these articles, the new wave of American metal, and you guys were always in one of those bands. But did you ever feel like you were the underdogs of people calling you metal core? Uh, yeah, I never really honestly bothered me. I, I, do, I thought that the new wave of American heavy metal was always a funny name because like bands like, especially us and Chimera at the time that phrase came out, we're like, we've been together for like six years already. You know, we didn't feel new. We felt old already. There were all these young <laughs> bands. We're like, fuck, there's all this new stuff happening. You know? Um, so it was just funny that way, but I understood it's like such a perfect follow up to the new wave of British heavy metal is an easy way to kind of lumped together a, a, a group of bands but none of us really sounded alike which i liked as well like being part of that scene coming up with you know kill switch had a much more melodic epic kind of take uh lamb of god was just super brutal compared to all of us chimera had that like industrial kind of edge to them and and uh and then we were way more classical metal influence you know like like so i, I thought it was cool that none of us sounded the same but i understood why we were all kind of associated together because we were friends we did play shows together we did come up together from very similar backgrounds as well so i, I got why it was that way uh it should but yeah it was all i mean it's there's you need it you need a subgenre. it seems these days yeah. for people to to be comfortable with you know um cool. and then you know you guys dropped of one blood um and then I don't know, was, was it you starting to make attention because it didn't feel like until the art of balance that everyone was like, Hey, shadows fall. Yeah. yeah. Of one blood in the States got like some, uh, a little splash just because metal had been dead here. If it wasn't new metal, like every band we played with, it's funny. Cause like overcast, I was used to playing with either death metal bands, hardcore bands, or the weird ones like us in between. And then all of a sudden when shadows fall was doing shows, all the bands that were opening were like, had a DJ, you know, like, like two singers usually, you know, like, and it was just kind of like, oh man, we we're like sore thumb dudes with like, like, we're like, what an awful time to put out a record that has six minute songs with three guitar solos. We're like, what are we, what are we doing? Um, but the label uh, was very like, well, the US side of the label was very into it. And they were like, I don't know, guys, you guys are onto something. I think, you know, all that stuff's about to crash. And uh, so there was like a, you know, buzz, but it was, it was small. It was like a slow burn. And we had done, we did some touring where the, we did the weirdest three tours in a row to start that cycle. We, the first tour was with Dismember, Christian and Cataclysm. And we were without a doubt the softest band on the bill. Yeah. Then the next tour after that was with King Diamond. So we're, and then we're out with like a traditional, like old school metal crowd. And then the tour after that was with Glassjaw what so like it was we're like so we kind of realized right away we're like we can play with anybody you know yeah. and it was cool we were like all right fuck it we don't care and we never changed our set for any of those those uh uh tours we just were like we do what we do this is what we do like you know love it or leave it you know um so then you know as that cycle was winding down the name was getting a little bit of buzz but uh the art of balance definitely changed things uh but it was also timing wise headbangers ball just came back on mtv2 here uh ozfest was starting to bring in heavier bands on the second stage i think hatebreed did the 2002 one mm -hmm. and with down 
and that like was big you know we we saw that and we're like oh man that's something we can actually like is attainable whereas early years we were like there's no way we'll get on something like that you know um and so then you know art of balance drops 2003 ozfest the second stage is us chimera kill switch sworn enemy uh e-town concrete you know cradle of filth like it just it was insane but with also with a bunch of other new metal bands on it who are major label bands by the end of that tour almost all of those bands had either broken up or been dropped by their label and like <laughs> left the tour and we're, we, so we were like it's the, the, we saw the changing of the guard kind of happening and even the main the main stage was still like corn disturbed and marilyn manson but those guys were coming and hanging out on the second stage and being like, all right this is what's up you know like they kind of can tell too my dog's barking at you. Sorry. Here, say no, hi. You're right. Hello. <laughs> he looks like... I've got two of the same... Uh, is that a staffy? Uh, it's a boxer. Oh, it's boxer. boxer. Um, yeah, we've yep. got, we got two staffies and a sausage dog. Oh. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So, OzFest goes on and then I think it's renowned as possibly one of your biggest was The War Within. And... Mm-hmm. You know, you had some really good music videos. It seems like it was really well pushed as well. It seems like you guys were being uh, heavily pushed. The label got behind that one big time. Well, because uh, Art of Balance surprised the worldwide Century Media offices. The the U.S. office, they kind of always had a feeling things were going to go that way. And then it sold 100,000 copies in the United States, which they had never done before. And they, so even the, the, that's when the European label is like, oh, so we should probably do something about this. <laughs> you know, whereas before they really did, you know, uh, and I think some of it was whoever signed whoever got, you know, like if the US office signed them, they were like, ah, we don't care, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, numbers talk. So, so by the time War Within came out, they were really pushing it and they had had a big, you know, uh, radio campaign which wasn't exactly mainstream radio but at the time there were still like a lot of college stations or at least every big station had a metal show or something like that you know even if it was at 2 a.m so there was definitely a lot of buzz but uh headbangers ball was definitely a big part of that because you just got into so many more homes and i think seeing those videos uh helped a ton you know it really did um but uh and then we just started our people knew we were a good live band and bands wanted to take us out. So we started getting offered like a lot of great opening spots for some killer tours. And, uh, the biggest of which was definitely the subliminal versus tour with Slipknot, Lamb of God and us doing arenas and shit. And it just, that's when everything just was crazy. You know, it just took off and that it ended up selling, you know, almost 300,000 copies mm-hmm. in the States, uh, which is still, I think the biggest selling century media record, which is cool. Uh, it would also happen right as you know records stopped selling right afterwards yeah. so you know no one could beat it after it set that mark which is nice you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh but uh yeah so it really things changed pretty drastically from like we noticed we uh, for us we were in a van forever then we got our first tour bus tour and then we were like headlining like the same rooms that we used to be the one band on and you're like oh wow all right cool <laughs> it, it was then interesting because it was like the label suddenly dropped a, the fallout of fallout from war, which was like the B sides compilation. Mm-hmm. Was, was that timing kind of not really necessary because it felt it, like it, it took it, some it, wind. It, what happened was we to do Ozfest. You had in two thousand three, hmm. we had to buy on for seventy thousand dollars. That's what every band on the second stage had to pay to into like. Well, I did basically to Sharon, hmm. <laughs> uh, um, and. Uh, to do that, Century Media didn't have that kind of money just to throw around, so they wanted a DVD and an EP, 
to add on to their deal because we only signed a three record deal. So the war within was technically our last record, but we had this EP to do it. And we're like, we didn't want to just throw together something, but we also wanted to put out our new record. So we had the songs uh, that we that either didn't record or hadn't finished during the war within sessions and then some covers. And, you know, so we went in the studio and finished all that. It did throw things off big time for us because we had to release that, then wait a while, and then release Threads of Life, mm. even though we had already recorded it a while back. And even in the midst of when Threads of Life got dropped, Century Media dropped our greatest hits, which we yeah. had nothing to do with. And it became another catalog item, so stores didn't know if that was the new one, which one's the new one. You know, they both say new. And what's hilarious is I do love the, the one thing I like about the greatest hits record is is it's a target where none of the arrows hit the bullseye because like, we didn't have any hits you know we're like what are you talking about we didn't have any hits you know like we, we had a bunch of good metal songs There's, there was no radio hits so uh uh at least they were you know they were they were honest in the packaging you know <laughs> it's kind of like dream theater's uh greatest hit and 11 other songs is still one of the greatest yeah. titles for a greatest hit song i don't think ever so, so uh but that that definitely threw off some momentum uh and some of it was them, you know, we didn't re-sign with them and they had offered us a really good deal. It's just we wanted to, to see what else was out there. Everyone we worked with originally was gone from Century Media. Uh, you know, they just had a lot of turnover uh, uh, personnel wise. So just felt like a time to move on. And they, I think, kind of took it as like, well, if you're going to do that, then we're going to do this. And I was like, uh, kind of sucked. But. And then, I mean, then you mentioned Threads of Life, which I think is technically classified your, your best selling album i think because i was looking at some stats i think it might be close maybe, if not maybe worldwide yeah uh, worldwide I know the yeah. Is bigger in the states but maybe worldwide because we did we were on roadrunner in europe mm. for that one and other parts of the world where we were on atlantic here and atlantic records honestly treated us amazing gave us a great super lucrative deal and let us do whatever we wanted it's just unfortunately at that time they went from being this giant company and every the whole music industry hit up a bad point and they started firing like everybody and Ooh. our A&R guy was gone our product manager was gone the, so the people didn't know what to do with us there they would do silly things too where like they're like oh we, here's your video budget we're like oh okay we can make like six videos for that much they're like no no you have to use it on one video we're like well we would never spend this much money on one video and they're like well you have to we're like all right then we're gonna get a crane and we're gonna like you know like, we're gonna go on this, we on this rooftop in la and we're like great catering and like you know this stuff. but we're like it was just silly we're like why put it into something else put it into tour support and they're like but it's just you know major label stuff and that's kind of the things we're like, we wanted a major label to see what we could do with it, but we didn't really realize some of the logistics and how you lose some of the ability to call some shots and all that. So it, it, they did amazing for us in the beginning. And then once the record came out, they didn't do anything after that. So uh -huh. it was kind of a bum out. But it worked out for us in the long run because we did sell a good amount of records and it triggered an escalation clause where for our next album, they now had to pay us even more. Oh. So we said, all right, for half of that amount, cut us a check for that and we'll we'll go away. And they did. And then we re-signed uh, through Ferret, which we did mm -hmm. our little own imprint with, which was owned by Universal Group that owns Atlantic. <laughs> so they paid us to go away and then paid us to make a record <laughs> now you mentioned around this time which a lot of people know is when the industry is changing and during this period uh, it, are you noticing that maybe music is not becoming as 
regularly consumed as it used to be? Are you starting oh, to notice that with shows yes. as well and merchandise? Well, what we what we learn is 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 okay. Record sales used to supplement our income when we were not on the road. That is no longer an option. So the two choices were either stay on the road all the time or find other ways to supplement that, whether it's through creative merch or that's when bands started doing meet and greets. That's yeah. when, you know, like all that stuff started happening. Well, like full, full on, you know, there were people who were doing that, but like where it became standard, you know, to, to have that stuff and you bring in endorsements like, all right, if we're going to do this tour, we got to bring in monster energy drinks. We got to do something, you know, because it's just, there's no other income stream outside of playing and selling t-shirts. So, and the other thing we notice is due to the, accessibility of the recording equipment there oh, suddenly there was a billion bands dropping records and they all sounded similar like mm. you know all of a sudden it was like oh we stand out because we're screaming and we're singing and we're doing this guitar shredding and then it was like oh shit so is everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so uh the things that made you unique are suddenly like ah it's formula you know like yeah. <laughs> so we uh luckily we're very insular dudes we weren't listening to a lot of new shit at the time anyway so we kind of stayed in our lane which for better or for worse i, I you know i think retribution and uh fire from the sky are, are natural progressions of, of what we always thought our sound was but they may not have been flavor of the month uh the way you know like the labels might have hoped for or whatever you know because things were getting a little simpler things were getting a little more uh chorus based you know like there and there were bands that were blowing up you know like uh, so there was, they started to see like, Hey, you can really do this in the radio or like, yes, it's not, this is not who we are, you know? Mm. So, and but was, we definitely, the shift was obvious. It was, it was obvious what was happening. There was also a big gap between retribution and fire from the sky. It kind of, I think a lot of people thought, you know, you guys dropped retribution and then it kind of felt like things went a little bit quiet and then suddenly it's like, here's a new album. Like check it out it yeah well, some, some of it was was finding who you know who we we're gonna work with uh we also we toured retribution like crazy people like probably mm -hmm. almost too much we went out for almost a full year with five finger death punch where we did two u.s tours uh mayhem fest europe and then you know like all like for a full year so by the time we got off of that we were just toast yeah you know uh and and that's it took us a while to just like we don't we're also notoriously slow songwriters like insanely slow I, I always envied bands like in flames will write a record every eight months and it blows my mind i'm like how do you do that yeah, uh like true. you know like we just don't write that way uh a, a lot of bands all the remains are like that they put out a record like almost every a year and a half there's a record out and we just we just didn't write that way and if we would have they would have been bad you know <laughs> <laughs> um, or they would have been eps you know so uh so that, that was just part of it. But the thing is, it was at a time in the record industry where if you don't keep your face out there constantly, there there's so much other bands that were filling those the, the space that you can lose your spot pretty a lot easier. That, and, and that you know, that definitely happened to us where bands we took out, we started seeing getting bigger, you know, and then uh and then just the scene became bigger itself where it just became a little oversaturated too. So and, you know, you can get lost in the shuffle that way. And then it was like I don't know. It, it felt, well, I think people knew before you said you went on a hiatus that it was kind of coming because, you know, people were not including yourself, but so-and-so is playing for Megadeth now. And, you know, all, all, all the guys are like yeah. going elsewhere, but nothing was, yeah. nothing was kind of like officially said yet. 
and then yeah. suddenly you guys say we're going to go on a hiatus was was that kind of forced or was it just kind of like look we don't want to end it officially so let's just kind of step back for a bit yeah well a big part of it was you know john started playing in an anthrax filling in at first and then it became a, you know more of a full-time gig and we did a few short tours with a, uh, our friend Felipe filling in, who's an incredible guitar player. But it was the first time since 1999 that I had, well, I, I guess J Jason joined in 2001. So I, since 2001, it had been the same five dudes. And actually, the first thing that happened was Paul, uh, his wife was going to have a kid and he stayed off the road. And that was the first time we had uh, a fill-in bass player. And that felt strange, you know. And then, uh, and then when John was doing that, we had to do a few tours with a fill-in guitar player, and it just started, we were like, ah, so many metal bands, at, especially at that time, were doing that. Where all of a sudden you're like, would see a band with a whole new lineup, and you're like, what's going on? Which always blew my mind because I'm like, how do these people learn these things so fast? You know, <laughs> especially technical death metal bands always seem to have fill-in touring guys. Yeah. I'm like, how did he learn yeah. that on the plane? It's insane. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it just started feeling like, uh, are we just going to kind of keep the name because this is what we do? Or is this like what who we're supposed to be, you know? And the guys who filled in all did incredible jobs, whether, you know, there's two guys who filled on a bass, uh, our friend Ed and our friend Mikey T, and they were both awesome. And Felipe, who filled in guitar for John, was an incredible guitar player. But we'd been five dudes rocking together for, you know, a decade and a half. So it felt very strange. So that, that was the right on the wall for me. I, then my wife became pregnant and I had my first kid and I was on tour and, and I watched my daughter crawl for the first time on Skype and all that. And, and before I would get home from tour and be really itching to get back up on the road. And it started going the opposite way where I was like, ah, I'm just getting pretty comfortable, you know, and the family was growing, uh, you know, I was missing my wife. I was missing my kid. And it started to be like, well, we plateaued as well. That's, I mean, there was a legit like business side of it. We're like, this is, this is where we're at. We could grind out like this way, you know, indefinitely, or, you know, it's time to maybe just, you know, take some time. We didn't want to call it a breakup because we were like, well, we don't know what we're going to do, you know? And, uh, what's funny is we still talk all the time. Like we just had a text wheel going around, like we got to play some shows this year. Like it's 15th anniversary of war within a 10th anniversary of retribution. Like, <laughs> like we're going to do something. And then we're like, well, yeah, but when, like, I don't know, you know, like, how do we make it work? We don't have management. We don't have a booking agent. We don't have anything, you know, like, so, uh, you know, so, which, so we're hoping to do something, but it's, it's so just, you know, it made more sense to kind of wind it down at that time. So possibly we might see some shows popping up maybe. Yeah, we're really trying to. The biggest problem now is Jason's playing an overkill and they just dropped a new record. Yeah. Uh, John's playing an anthrax, uh, and they've been doing the whole Slayer world tour. And mm -hmm. then they have a few other things lined up. So logistically, that's the hardest part. And Matt's playing an act of defiance with the guys, you know, the ex Megadeth dudes. Mm. And, uh, and so once we can figure out a time frame that everyone's actually available, it's funny because now, like, I'm the, even though I have two kids and all that, I'd be the easiest because I'd just be like, I'll just take a vacation and, like, go, <laughs> go to the store. Uh, and, uh, um, but so we're really, but this, this year we want, we do want to try and get something together. I don't know if it'll go beyond the United States. It would be cool, but we'll, we'll see. The other thing, uh, there's all these cool cruises now. I'm like, yo, yeah. someone get us on a cruise. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'll play metal on a cruise. <laughs> um, now before we get into the other ones, an interesting thing that happened in 2006 was, yeah, Overcast had been kind of retired for a while and then suddenly you guys jumped on New England Fest and then there was like a compilation which was like 
you know, remastered kind of re-recordings and stuff. What was the decision behind suddenly to release that Overcast album, Reborn to Kill Again? Yeah, you know, basically, we, people have been asking us to do, it's hilarious, it's one of those like, where were you when we were a real band type of stuff. There's so many people like, oh, Overcast, I'll do shows again. We're like, well, yeah, we stopped because, you know, there's no, no one, one there. there. <laughs> uh, you know? uh, and then, uh, so, but, you know, so it always been talked about and, me and Mike, you know, toured a ton together between Kill Switch and Shadows Fall. So we'd always be talking like, ah, eh, you know, the time we write. And uh, Scott Lee, who used to promote the New England Metal and Hardcore Fest, asked us every single year to play. <laughs> and so finally, like one year, we're like, all right, if we're gonna do it, we gotta do it right. You know, we want to like be super well rehearsed. We want to we want to go out there and just kill it. So then after those round of shows, a lot of those early recordings were done, you know, for like a hundred bucks in like a tiny little studio. So we're like, if, it'd be fun to actually record them the way we always envisioned. And uh, the guys at Metal Blade were like, hey, man, we would love to put it out. So we went in and recorded with Adam D, which was a blast. And just, you know, did that, the Reborn to Kill again. And we all, we did have two songs that we never recorded at the end of, of Overcast that we played live a few times, but that was it. So we wanted to record those, finally document those. And then we, you know, went out and supported it a little bit, um, you know, doing some shows here and there. Uh, and then it, Overcast will probably always pop up every now and then and play a show here or there. Uh, that led to Death Ray Vision, you know, out of the yeah. Overcast stuff uh, and all that, which they're still going now just about me because I, uh, it's a 15-hour commute to band practice from where I live to there. Ooh. So, I, you know, I was like, you guys should find a local dude, you know. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, we, me and Mike have just always been really good friends and always stayed in touch. And honestly, with all the Overcast guys, we're all still really close. Um, I'd played in an ambient kind of like shoegaze band with uh, Scott from Overcast for a while too, called Transient. So we were always all in touch and hanging out. So, and those shows are fun. I, I'll tell physically, they almost damn near kill me every time, but th it's fun. <laughs> My favorite show we probably played was uh, this is Hardcore Fest we did one year. And before I sang a note during the instrumental intro, someone was unconscious on the floor and they had to stop the set. You know, we're like, yeah, that's that's about right. You know, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you mentioned Death Ray Vision, and you know, you did an EP and an album in there, and um, with, did anyone take the band seriously? Because a lot of people were just like, oh, it's just a side project. It's just Overcast Mark Two. I heard some people saying, and it's this weird thing where some people can't take something as just a form of art. They want to. Give it yeah, a hard time. Yeah, which it really what happened was, you know, like we were all good friends still, so we wanted to do some stuff. And Mike D had actually been ghostwriting uh for some Chromag songs. Ooh. And they ended up not using them. And uh he's like, I got all this this stuff. He's like, I'd love to do something with it. And it was me and him at first. We were like going back and forth, like, yeah, man, these songs are rad. It's it was just to me, it was it didn't really you know, obviously there's gonna be like overcast comparisons because it's three fifths of the band. But I, to me, it sounded more like Ringworm or like that mm. type of 90s angry hardcore. And then we added, a, you know, even a little more element of maybe a little rock and roll into it a little bit. But uh, so it was just for fun. And, you know, like we knew we weren't going to be a full time band, but we did tour. For, we did a, a tour with Sworn Enemy. We did a bunch of shows in Massachusetts. And man, I, I, I love those tunes and had a blast doing it. Uh, but we, we, we were never able to really, you know, go out and make it a full-time thing and promote it i'm glad they're doing shows again now uh as more of a real kind of band um because i just couldn't keep it up you know like being i, I live halfway across the country from those guys 
so uh and two kids and all that stuff and too many other bands <laughs> and uh so i'm glad that they they're actually doing something and, and the new stuff has a, a different direction too because the singer jeff mm. has a very powerful singing voice too so they incorporated some of what he does cool and and didn't just keep it all like like the same way which is cool so they're they're definitely progressing now the two other bands we're going to talk about before we kind of wrap things up is hell night is mm-hmm. one that's currently active and yep. you know it feels in a way kind of you guys are doing it old school it's very diy um oh, yeah. some shows here and there um and am i right in thinking it was kind of already established before you joined yeah you know when i first moved to st louis uh my wife told me like oh, a friend of mine's singing for a band you know we should go check it out and uh and i saw him and i was blown away i was like man this is like down-tuned like black flag early yeah. circle jerk style stuff uh and was super into it and then the singer mike uh just kind of was he had never sang before and he was just like ah, i'm kind of over it i'm a drummer i just want to play drums and and he quit and i'd been skateboarding with uh, the guitar player andy for a while and was loving their stuff so once mike quit he just was like you want to jam i was like yeah and what's cool is like i did learn a couple of the old songs but we ended up writing like six songs in the first two months I was in the band and way hell night does stuff is we write and then we go and record it like within a month. Uh Like we're in the studio recording four new songs. We don't have, I always, I'd always get demo itis where I'd love the demo because it had this energy and, and would like, you know, be like, that's our first thought of it. This is the way it was, it was meant to be. And then by the time you record it, everything changes. You've heard it a million times and, it never was the same impact. So we don't go through the demo stage. We just, go, <laughs> we, we write it, we go right in the studio, we bang it out and then we either put it out online or we press a seven inch, you know, it's super DIY. We do everything, you know, ourselves. We, uh, and just the shows are awesome. It's, it's super fun stuff. It's, it's more along the lines of what I was listening to. Uh, cause I was definitely going backwards musically and listening to a lot of old hardcore, a lot of old punk rock, a lot of noisy stuff like Rorschach and, Ooh. and infest and stuff like that you know and it was that's where my head was at which is weird because then on the other flip side i was listening to tons of grateful dead and fish and like hippie jam shit too <laughs> which is weird which doesn't make its way into to hell night at all but i just wasn't into like i didn't want to play thrash metal that was like shreddy at the time because i was like ah it's not gonna be as good as shadows wall you know <laughs> <laughs> and so why do that you know uh and and it was fun to just go play shows that are just like 30, we don't play more than 30 minutes, even if we're headlining. There's no gaps between any of the songs. We just fucking go and we just rage. We destroy everything and then we leave. And it's a blast. <laughs> so it, it, it sounds like it's a giving you exactly what you need at this stage of your life and career. Totally. Um, totally. It's fun. It's agenda free. There's no business plan. That's the thing is by the end, Shadows Fall, we were always really true to our creative ideas and our, our influences. But you have to have a business plan when you are in a band full time as as a living, because it's it's a business. Uh, this it's fun to have all that gone. There's no like I'd be working on a chorus on a Shadows Fall record and being like, I wonder if it's gonna hit. You know, like if like people do it this way or that way. It's like now I'm like I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, like, like, this is exactly like what I'm trying to say the way I'm trying to say it and just getting it out and moving on. You know. Um, well, so, I, I you. The moment I heard you joined, uh, you, you got a fan of me. I love everything you're doing, and I know there's something coming soon. So, um, really, really stoked to hear this new stuff because I think it's three bits of releases now. I think 
Yeah, yeah. We've done a couple EPs that were either digital only or like CDs mm. that we made in a few to sell at shows. Uh, this is going to be our first full length on vinyl. We had one seven inch before, and it's basically we had a bunch of stuff that you could get digitally. And then five new songs. We recorded the five new songs, and then we remastered everything on the one 12-inch that's coming out uh, March 1st. So stoked. It's very limited vinyl, but it'll be it'll be digital. Uh, every, it'll be everywhere on the digital formats. Yeah. So. Now, um, Downpour, last band that's current, well, it's a current thing you've got going on, <laughs> is an interesting thing was you guys were touted around for a while. Everyone was speaking about you, and then you crowdfunded the album sort of sort of uh basically it's downpour is a weird like just the way it progressed was very odd <laughs> uh <laughs> it was one of those ones where real life just gets in the way of shit you know and uh originally derek approached me i've known derek the drummer for as long as i can remember and he was he actually played in shadows fall for a short period of time before jason joined helping us out on some tours did Japan with us, did a few other things. Uh, amazing drummer. Then he joined Unearth and he was in Kingdom of Sorrow and a bunch of other bands, you know. So um, he approached me. He's like, I've been working on music with uh, Matt, who used to be in this band, Frozen and Kanai. And I always loved Matt's guitar playing. I was like, oh, yeah, man, send it over. I'll check it out. But at the time, I was like, I really don't know if I can be in another band, you know. He's like, we're not trying to tour. We're not trying to. He's like, this is going to be not a studio only project, but for the most part, it's going to be studio based he's like we've just been working on these songs for a long time crafting them where we it's going to be again it was agenda free in a different way where we're like we're not going to trim any fat we're going to put everything into it we're going to just get overboard with production we're going to you know kind of throw everything at the wall and i was like I, that i i'm into like i was like and so the first round of demos went like super rad and we were like yeah this stuff is going to be sick and then life just happened where i had my second kid derek had all kinds of job stuff happening. Our guitar player, Matt, was a prison guard and he blew his knee out and he was on sabbatical and like all this other shit just happened and we couldn't get our shit together to save our lives, you know? So then we finally got together to record. We recorded it and our friend Rucho did an incredible job and then we had to figure out a way to pay him and all that. <laughs> so we, we ended up just slowly paying him ourselves, but we're like, you know what? We're going to wait to release it when we can all actually focus on it. And we did the pledge music thing was more like a way to get the word back out there and have a place where people could pre-order it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily crowdfunded to pay for the recording. It was just to like remind people is out there. Here's a platform you can pre-order. There's different bundles, different, different things you can do. Uh, and then once it was finally finished, everything was ready to happen. We're like, man, we'd really love to put it on a vinyl. And a friend of mine who, uh, Jay reason who I've known forever as well, uh, was like, you know, I have like a vinyl only label that does all this cool stuff. And I'm like, no, I didn't, you know, like, <laughs> he's like, I'll put it out. And we're like, Oh man. So everything went from nothing happening for like three years, almost two and a half, three years to like everything coming together in like a week, you know? Wow. Uh, and, and now finally it's seeing the light of day. Cause uh, these are songs we're all super proud of. Like push myself as a vocalist way beyond anything I'd ever done. Uh, and the, uh, absolute bipolar uh band from hell night yeah. you know where everything was very strategic everything was very uh agonized over you know uh all that um so it was cool to have a project like that but that also didn't have a, a due date you know so mm. we could take our sweet ass time with it you know <laughs> which we did yeah. i think there's a promo video for like serpent's tongue that's like coming 
summer 2015 and we're like oops you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what i mean like you guys you appeared and everyone's like oh there's a new new band on the scene and then it was like okay um yep we we don't know what's happening now um yeah sorry yeah we we had to do a bunch (laughs) of shit you know we'll be back (laughs) now just a couple of things i wanted to ask because you you know um you're someone that's been around the industry for a nice chunk of time now and you've seen the industry come and go and change in so many different ways but the way it is in 2019 and i still can't believe we're saying it's 2019 now um where do you see the industry being you know do you think it's at a very um challenging point for an artist or do you think it is at a very empowering point for an artist i mean where do you see the industry from an artist's perspective I think it all depends on where you're at individually, because if you're an established band, there's a way to really keep your, your name on the radar without having to do a lot, you know, there was between social media and other things and creative ways to keep your name out there and be involved in different projects and give people content that isn't necessarily recording a new record or going on tour and all that. I think that's cool. If you're a middle tier band trying to make a living, it is a tough time Mm. to be that band. There's not any money in the industry and touring even numbers are down where what you got paid on a slot being two or three on a tour is like less than it was 10 years ago, you know, which is crazy. Uh, So, you know, you got to do it because you love it because you're not going to make a ton of money. If you're a new band, this is a great time to be able to spread the word in ways that were never available before to a ton of people at once so it's really i think depends on where you're at it it, but creatively there's a million options and cool ways to do different things that weren't an option before uh and i think that's going to continue i've always wanted to figure out ways to do like like for downpour we know we can't tour but we'd love to like live stream shows and have people like just throw throw five dollars in the hat and watch us play you know like 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 in some digital way you know uh of you know like i do that a lot with like you know, fish or dead and company will go out on tour and I'll be watching it from my couch, streaming it live, you know, like on my TV. And like, so things like that are definitely a cool way for bands to do different shit. And, but I'll tell you, if you were a band, like, like where we were at years ago, if we would have been in that tier, then I don't know if we could have done it full time. Like just mm. uh, it's, as far as making a living off of it is, is, is definitely gotten tougher because you don't have the record sales to supplement it. When you see something like Peter Frampton, you know, had what 16 million streams of a song and made $1,800 on Spotify or something. And, you know, you see those numbers and you're like, man, it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough. Mm. But, uh, but more people are going to hear your music forever. Unfortunately, that also makes it oversaturated. So it's harder to pay attention to one thing at a time, you know, <laughs> you know, before you'd find a band and I would listen to that thing backwards and forward. I would read the thanks list a million times. I'd study the layout, you know, and now it's like, I just got 30 new like albums to look at today. Like, what do I do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, so, I mean, do you, do you, it's, do you, it's do you... definitely different, but it's, it's, it's cool. I, I think if you're young and you're just trying to enjoy making music, there's a, a million cool ways to do it now. And also you can record your idea immediately in your home studio and throw it up on Bandcamp or on your Instagram story or anything immediately. Like, I think that's awesome. There's, there's something cool to be the, like that. You know, it's, you don't have to, have an album cycle and like the, the traditional way of, of promoting release and all that. So, well, do you think, do you think an album is still consumed the way it used to be? Because no, and I don't think people should even drop full lengths. I think people yeah. should record 10 songs at once and then drop three songs every couple months, you know, because that's the way people are. And I remember as a hardcore kid, 
I would get a seven inch and I'd be like, this is the greatest band ever. And then I get their full length. I'm like, they get really boring after six songs, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I I think, so like there's a, that mentality has gotten even worse, you know, Mm -hmm. like attention spans are shorter and people are just used to consuming so many things at once and, and multitasking and all that. So I think that's the way you really should release stuff. We originally wanted to do that with the downpour stuff, but it had been four years to put it out. So we figured, like, let's give everybody everything now. (laughs) Yeah, just give it. Just give it. Um, Now, I just realized there was one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap wrap it up. The the infamous, infamous dreadlocks. Those Mm -hmm. luscious locks of yours that you started as a a teenager. why did you pick dreadlocks and has there ever been a point where you were like oh they're getting caught on too many things they're getting pulled by too many people i've just had yeah uh they started because the only way my hair would grow down was if they were in dreads otherwise i would have just gone like like slash or claudio from you know uh coheed style like big hair (laughs) so uh but also you know i was i was uh Pretty, even for someone who's in brutal hardcore bands and metal bands, I was always a pretty big hippie too. So I was really into Rasta culture and, and all that as well. Um, and as far as they get stuck on everything right now, car doors are my new nemesis. Uh, I get stuck <laughs> in car doors as I walk away all the time. Uh, it's, it gets to be 115 degrees Fahrenheit in St. Louis. So every summer it's like wearing a wool blanket. So that starts to wear on you. Um, but I, I can't, I, Every time I think I'm gonna cut them, I just I I don't. So they're they're literally dragging on the floor now. So <laughs> uh, that's pretty much for questions, man. Now, um, last thing I do, first thing I gotta say is, um, I love everything you've done, and I hope you keep doing music. Um, just don't ever stop. Even when you're getting really old and you can't move, you still gotta yeah. drop something. I'm gonna be making music forever, even if people don't want to hear it. So no worries there. Um, I do a segment called "Pick Your Poison." Now, what we do here is I give you two options, and mm-hmm. with these two options, you pick yours out of those two that you're gonna have for the rest of your life. So imagine you have to make a decision, and the one you go with is what you're stuck with. All right. Okay. So some are easy, some might be hard. We're gonna go. Would you rather a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay. Would you rather Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Ooh, that's harder. Uh, I'm going to go Indian, but my stomach is not happy about that choice. <laughs> Would you rather wine or beer? Now, I know you're sipping wine, so. Yeah, but beer. Beer. I only it was my, my wife happened to open a bottle of red, so I'm, I'm in, but you know, it would be beer. Uh, would you rather cook at home or go to a restaurant? Uh, cook at home. Okay. Would you rather see a movie in a cinema or see it on the couch? Uh, I want to sit on the couch with my bong. Uh, what about beach or snow? <sighs> Shit. Yeah, I guess I'm going to go beach, but that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I grew up snowboarding and living in New England, but it's cold now. And I, yeah, I, like, I think I'm, the older I get, the warmer I like it. <laughs> Would you rather surf or ski? Ooh, uh, I'm better at snowboarding. But uh, if I had the skills, it'd probably be surfing. But honestly, so now it'd probably be snowboarding. Yep. Now, the next one I know what the answer will be. It's skateboard or rollerblade. Oh, jeez. Rollerblades shouldn't even exist on this earth. <laughs> Unless you're, if you're playing hockey and you Ooh. don't have ice. Okay. Fine. Okay, fine. Good, good answer. But no, I'll, I'll, I will skateboard until my body stops me or my wife finally, like, 
chops them all in half because I'm going to get hurt. I skate <laughs> at least once a week. Still go to the skate park as much as possible. So. Oh, I love it. Um, yep. Cat or dog? I think I already know the answer. Oh, dog. Yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah. Uh, Batman or Superman? I'll go Batman. Okay. Jason Bourne or James Bond? I'm going old school. I'm going Bond on that one. Okay. Terminator or Predator? Oh, I got to go with the Predator. That's my homie. That's my dreadlock homie. <laughs> um, Rambo or Rocky? Oh, Rambo. Rambo. And the, I love that they've gotten more ridiculous as he's gotten older. I know. Like, it, it just never, it never <laughs> stops. Like, it's so awesome. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Okay. Slayer or Pantera? Oh, fuck. That's not fair. Mm. Oh. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, just because I love Dime. I, I, got, I was lucky enough to spend the last, you know, five weeks of Dime's life with him, so I don't have to give it to Dime. Uh, cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Oh, Cannibal Corpse. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, but it, Rust in Peace would probably win out of all of them, but, like, catalog-wise, uh, we'll go Metallica. Black Sabbath or Van Halen? Oh, man. I don't have to go Sabbath, but yeah, that's a tough one. Well, you know, if, if Gary Sharon didn't throw everything off and ruin Van Halen <laughs> for that short period of time, uh, maybe. But yeah, Sabbath. We'll go Sabbath. Mosh Pit or up the back watching the show? Oh, nowadays? Yeah, I'll be in the back. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is there's certain bands that'll still get me to mosh, but it's it, they're getting less. <laughs> Touring or recording? Touring. Touring. CD, vinyl, or download? Vinyl. Um, Brian, thank you so very much, man. I had a lot of fun. Um, really appreciate you being so open. No, it's my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. And uh, thanks for uh, spreading the word and, and you know, keeping, keeping the torch burning. <laughs>
So that was my chat with Brian of Shadows Fall, Overcast, Downpour, and Hell's Night. And also at the end there, you heard a personal favorite, a personal all-time classic, in my opinion, from Shadows Fall, and that is The Idiot Box, which is taken from the band's absolute jam-packed epic, The Art of Balance. Now, any of those bands we discussed about, whether that's Overcast, Downpour, Hell's Night, or Shadows Fall, if you don't really know much about the music, get online, get on Spotify, get on Bandcamp, get on iTunes, get on YouTube, watch some of the music videos. All of that music is at your fingertips, and you're not going to go astray. It's all fucking amazing make sure you support brian and the bands he's been in make sure you get online and get some of that music into your ear holes thank you again brian for coming on the show really really appreciate it absolute legend an absolute great chat and has meant the world to me and the mosh zone thank you again dude much love much respect much appreciated so that's it for the Mosh Zone, episode 52. We're all wrapped up, we're all in the can, done, dusted, locked away. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.